Chronicles, you'll be reading through and finding a king who was not pleasing in the sight of the Lord, or who did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And sometimes you'll find a king who did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, uh, but who struggled at points. And with each king, we find that a lot of times what sets them in a direction for success or failure is the point of transition and what the decisions they make at that point of transition. And so we realize that Ethan and Levi, you guys are both in a significant period of transition in your lives. And in a similar way, I think we can see some principles from the life of Jehoshaphat and observe some things about what it means to live uprightly and to live resolutely, especially in a time of transition. And so the main idea that I want us to get tonight, that I want you guys to get tonight, is that the upright live resolutely through periods of transition. And what we're going to do, we're going to observe eight principles of what it looks like for the upright to live resolutely through periods of transition. And so we're going to begin by reading 2 Chronicles chapter 17, verses 1 through 4. 2 Chronicles 17, verse 1 reads, Jehoshaphat, his son, then became king in his place and made his position over Israel firm. He placed troops in all the fortified cities of Judah and set garrisons in the land of Judah and in the cities of Ephraim, which Asa, his father, had captured. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he followed the example of his father, David's earlier days, uh, father David's earlier days, and did not seek the Baals, but sought the God of his father, followed his commandments, and did not act as Israel did. Jehoshaphat was in a very significant time of transition. He finds himself to be the new king of Judah. At the time of where we're reading, the nation of Israel had split into two different kingdoms. You have Israel in the north and King Ahab ruling up there, and you have the kingdom of Judah in the south, which is now turned over from Asa, the former king of Judah, now over to Jehoshaphat. And we have this new king over this new big kingdom, and there's a lot of pressure on him to make certain choices. Are you going to succumb to some of the desires and tendencies of the northern kingdom, which were not following the Lord? Or are you going to follow into the way of the Lord? And the first thing, the first principle that I think we see of what it looks like to live, or for the upright to live resolutely, is that we must follow godly examples. First, I think we can follow and learn from positive examples. Look at what Jehoshaphat did. It would have been easy for him to continue the status quo and to not necessarily make a whole lot of reform or to follow the Lord a whole lot. His father Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord some of the time, but not always. In fact, he ended his, uh, the, his kingdom, his reign ended on not so positive of a note. And the royal court was more or less used to a form of godlessness. But principle influences practice. And as you two young men transition from high school to the next segment of your life, I would encourage you to learn from positive examples as Jehoshaphat did. You both have the tremendous blessing of having grown up in godly families. They love you and they can influence you for the Lord. When you go throughout life, when questions come up, when you are certain what to do, you have someone who you can call who will always have your best interest in mind. Follow godly examples and learn from the positive examples. Jehoshaphat learned from his fathers. 
You guys can learn from your families as well. But also, learn from negative examples. The wrong choices of others do not necessarily determine your choices. Here's what I mean. Jehoi uh, Jehoshaphat had Rehoboam and Abijah as terrible examples before him. When the kingdom of Israel split, uh, Jero uh, Jehoah not Jehoram, uh, Rehoboam, excuse me, was the first king of Judah and did evil in the sight of the Lord. And then Abijah came after him, who was known as the great sinner. Asa, Jehoshaphat's father, was not a perfect king, but Jehoshaphat could learn from his mistakes. So I would encourage you guys to first praise the Lord that you do have godly families who you can look to, to go for help, to know that you have someone to call, especially in times of need, but also look of around you at the individuals in this world and learn from the mistakes of your own past and also from others. As Jehoshaphat begins this period of transition, the first thing that helped him to live resolutely as an upright person was to follow godly examples. Next, we're going to come to verses 5 and 6 and see that the next thing, next principle we should abide by is that you must seek the Lord, beginning again in verse 5. So the Lord established the kingdom in his control, and all Judah brought tribute to Jehoshaphat, and he had great riches and honor. He took great pride in the ways of the Lord and again removed the high places and the Asherim from Judah. We see in these two verses that especially if you determine to live resolutely as an upright person, you must seek the Lord. And this is exactly what Jehoshaphat does. Why, you say, why should I seek the Lord? Well, first we see in verse five that the Lord knows those who live for him. Now, I should say that the Lord probably will not bless you in the same way that he blessed Jehoshaphat, as we'll see here in just a moment. But even if it seems like you are serving the Lord, trying to follow his will, but life is still hard, God knows his own. And as one of God's children through Christ, you are never going to be alone. The Lord knows those who live for him, so seek him. Furthermore, seek him because there is satisfaction in following the Lord. Verse 6 says, Jehoshaphat took great pride in the Lord. Now, this does not mean that seeking the Lord is always painless or it's always going to be sunny days. I think those of us who are seasoned Christians can well understand that. But seeking the Lord may look like taking up your cross and following Christ. But seeking the Lord ultimately offers, I believe, satisfaction that no other pursuit in this world can parallel. Being in the work industry uh, with a lot of other individuals my age, I see a bunch of other people pursuing the things of this world, hoping for satisfaction and being disappointed. You will be disappointed as well if you seek for satisfaction anywhere but the Lord. And furthermore, I exhort you to seek the Lord because other forms of worship are illusory. You notice that Jehoshaphat, he tore down the high places, that is the places of worship for the other gods in Israel. He tore them down because he realized that only the Lord is worthy of worship. The world around us is looking at us as Christians and they're looking for themselves for ultimate satisfaction in the things that are around them. But we as Christians realize that only by seeking the Lord can we find true meaning and can we find true purpose. Many young men, as I mentioned, are consumed with work. They're consumed with relationships, success, video games, athletics. And I think these elements can have a proper place within your life. But beware that you seek one of these, unless you seek one of these more than you would seek the Lord. You might begin to notice that you are succumbing to this temptation if you are neglecting your Bible reading. 
If your church family lets you know that they've missed seeing you in church, perhaps if the impulses of your heart have a propensity to prioritize one of these factors, among others, above your relationship with God, you may realize that you aren't seeking the Lord as we should be. And so I would exhort you, if you want to be upright, if you choose to live resolutely, seek the Lord. Continuing now to verse 7, what does Jehoshaphat do next? In verse 7 says, Then in the third year of his reign, he sent officials, Ben-Hail, Obadiah, Zechariah, Nathaniel, and Machiah, to teach in the cities of Judah, and with them the Levites, Shemaiah, Nathaniah, Zebediah, Asahel, Zemri, oh wow, Shem-i-Ramoth, Yehonathan, Adonijah, Tobijah, Tabadonijah, the Levites, and with them, Elishama and Jeroboam, the priests. And they taught in Judah, having the book of the law of the Lord with them, and they went throughout all the cities of Judah and taught among the people. Here, what Jehoshaphat does next is very helpful for any king, really, or anyone going, out throughout, going throughout life, and that is to seek people who will benefit you. And Jehoshaphat, one who was upright, one who was choosing to live resolutely for the Lord, chose out to seek godly influences. He wanted to find people that first knew God well. He placed people in positions who were committed to serving the Lord. And so, Levi and Ethan, I would encourage you to surround yourself with people who know God and who love God. Plenty of them fill this church. Plenty of them are in your family. And I would encourage you to keep those people as influences in your life. Furthermore, I would encourage you to find people that know God's word well. Jehoshaphat went and found individuals who were able to teach others. Find people that can continue to mentor you and to disciple you. You can still enjoy time with friends, but be sure to have godly influences in your life. Then coming to verse 10, still in chapter 17. Now the dread of the Lord was on all the kingdoms of the lands which were around Judah, so that they did not make war against Jehoshaphat. Some of the Philistines brought gifts and silver as tribute to Jehoshaphat. The Arabians also brought him flocks, 7,700 rams and 7,700 male goats. So Jehoshaphat grew great and greater and greater, and he built fortresses and store cities in Judah. He had large supplies in the cities of Judah and warriors, valiant men in Jerusalem. This was their muster, according to their father's households of Judah, commanders of thousands. Adonah was the commander, and with him 300,000 valiant warriors. And next to him was Johanan, the commander, and with him 2,800,000. And next to him was Amishia, the son of Zikri, who volunteered for the Lord, and with him 200,000 valiant warriors. And of Benjamin, Eliada, a valiant warrior, and with him 200,000, armed with bow and shield. And next to him, Jehoshaphat, and with him 1,800,000, equipped for war. These are they who served the king, apart from those who the king put fortified cities all throughout Judah." The next principle, I believe, for the, what it means for the upright to live resolutely is to praise the Lord for his graciousness. Now, I realize this isn't explicit, we see in the life of Jehoshaphat, but we do see God's hand of blessing in his life. First, we recognize that God can bless us through people, right? God brings individuals into our lives who support us and who encourage us. And when the Lord brings individuals in your lives, 
praise him for that. But God also chooses to bless us sometimes with possessions. But I would encourage you to remember that this may not always be the case. But whether you are experiencing prosperity or poverty, God will supply your needs through Christ, which is a promise in Philippians 4.19. You've heard me perhaps give this illustration before in the youth group, but let's understand a little bit of what this means, to praise the Lord for his graciousness. This means that whether you are driving a rusty vehicle from the early 2000s or a new model, you still have a means of transportation. Whether you live in a six-figure home or a studio apartment, you still have a place to live. Whether you are grilling steaks for dinner or warming up tomato soup, you have food to eat. Whether your investments are growing faster than my weeds, or whether you have only a little extra to save each month, you have a savings. And whether you have a constant company or you're frequently alone, God is with you and is always gracious to you as a means of accomplishing his will in you and through you. So recognize God's hand of graciousness in your life and praise him for that. But then we come to a period of transition into chapter 18. If we stopped in chapter 17, things seem to be going well. The transition Jehoshaphat is in is going well, but we see now here a twist as we come to 2 Chronicles 18. We'll pick it up with verse 1. Now Jehoshaphat had great riches. Excuse me, sorry. Now Jehoshaphat had great riches and honor, and he allied himself with marriage, to marriage with Ahab, by marriage with Ahab, please excuse me. And he allied himself by marriage with Ahab. Some years later, he went down to visit Ahab in Samaria, and Ahab slaughtered many sheep and oxen for him and the people who were with him, and indulged him to go up against Ramoth Gilead. Ahab, king of Israel, said to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, will you go with me against Ramoth Gilead? And he said to him, I am as you are, and my people as your people, and we will be with you in the battle. Moreover, Jehoshaphat said to, king, to the king of Israel, Please inquire first for the word of the Lord. Then the king of Israel assembled the prophets, 400 men, and said to them, Shall we go against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I refrain? And they said, Go up, for God will give it into the hand of the king. But Jehoshaphat said, is there not yet a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, uh, There is one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him, for he never prophesies good concerning me, but always evil. His, he is Micaiah, son of Imlah. But Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say so. Then the king of Israel called an officer and said, uh, bring quickly Micaiah, Imlah's son. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, were sitting each on his throne, arrayed in their robes, and they were sitting at the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets were prophesying before them. Zedekiah, the son of Hananahah, made horns of iron for himself and said, Thus says the Lord, With these you shall gore the Arameans until they are consumed. All the prophets were prophesying thus, saying, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and succeed, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. And we transition now in Second Chronicles 18 to a rather humorous story. In fact, this is uh, something I had a hard time reading through on my own without laughing several times, and we're just getting into the chapter. But we see already this emphasis that something's not quite right. 
that Jehoshaphat has allied himself, that has made a friend with one who is ungodly. And so, if you choose to live, uh, if you resolve to live uprightly, avoid ungodly friends. Because confiding in yourself, first off, can be deceiving. Jehoshaphat was in a position where he was confident, he was prosperous, but apparently he ignored how tightly rebellion gripped the northern kingdom. He ignored how they were not committing themselves to the Lord. And we'll see this explicitly when we get to chapter 19. So confiding too much in yourself can be deceiving, but also confiding in others can be disappointing. Jehoshaphat thought perhaps by having this alliance with the northern kingdom, his own prosperity would be strengthened and would be greater. But we see that by having ungodly friends, you begin down a path of disappointment. And that's continued for us as we come to verse 12. Verse 12 says, The messenger who went to summon Micaiah spoke to him, saying, Behold, the words of the prophets are uniformly favorable to the king. So please let your word be like one of them and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, what my God says, that will I speak. Verse 14, Then he came to the king, and the king said to him, Micaiah, Shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I refrain? He said to him, Go up and succeed, for they will be given into your hand. Then the king said to him, How many times must I adjure you to speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? So he said, I saw Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep which have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each of these return to his house in peace. Then the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? Micaiah said, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the host of heaven standing on his right and on his left. The Lord said, Who will entice Ahab, king of Israel, to go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said while this, while another said that. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, How? And he said, I will go and be a deceiving spirit in the mouth of his prophets. Then he said, You are to entice him and prevail also. Go and do so. Now therefore, behold, the Lord has put a deceiving spirit in the mouth of these your prophets, for the Lord has proclaimed disaster against you. Then Zedekiah, the son of Hananah, came near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, How did the spirit of the Lord pass from me to speak to you? Micaiah said, Behold, you will see on that day when you enter an inner room to hide yourself. Then the king of Israel said, Take Micaiah and return him to Amnon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus says the king, Put this man in prison and feed him sparingly with bread and water until I return safely. Micaiah said, If indeed you return safely, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, Listen, all you people, I encourage you, Further, to avoid godly, ungodly friends, I would also encourage you now to seek the word of the Lord. As we looked at this section of scripture, we saw that it was important to Jehoshaphat that he had a voice of the Lord in the decision making. And as you seek the Lord's will, not only at this immediate moment of transition in your life, but also in the future, always seek the word of the Lord. Desire to be in God's word personally. It is a good thing that Jehoshaphat insisted on hearing from the Lord. And I would exhort you to do the same. 
There is a little book by Kevin Bowder called Knowing God's Will that can help you to this end. It's something that we went through in the youth group, uh, but for the the rest of us, it is in print now. If you're interested in that, I can try and get uh, you the information of that. But as we seek to be in God's word regularly, we can understand his will more personally. So the desire to be in God's word regularly, and furthermore, desire to embrace God's word corporatively. For Jehoshaphat, this would have been nice if Ahab was on his page. It would have been nice if the 400 prophets were, at least some of them were loyal to the Lord, but not a one was. And as a result, Jehoshaphat began to compromise on where his allegiance actually was. And so I would exhort you, as ones trying to be upright, to live resolutely, Seek the word of the Lord. Before we continue, just a comment on the divine council. It's interesting for us to get a little picture, right, into the divine throne room as Micaiah presents it and to see how God went about uh, deceiving Ahab to go against Ramoth Gilead. But there's two things I want us to understand, and they are this. One, that God is perfectly just in all that he does. And furthermore, man, we as human beings are responsible for the choices that we make. Meaning, I do not believe anyone will ever have the excuse standing before God someday to say, God, if I were in a different context, I wouldn't have chosen that. God, if you hadn't done that, I wouldn't have done that. In every situation, Man is responsible for the choices we make. You and I are responsible for the choices we make. And God is also sovereign in and through all things. And he is also just. Thus, some things like this in the Bible are hard to reconcile and to understand exactly what's going on. But I take comfort knowing the person and character of God. God is just. God is good, and we as human beings are responsible for the choices that we make. And ultimately, Ahab makes his choice. We see that next here in verse 28. Still in chapter 18, verse 28 says, So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up against Ramoth Gilead. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you put on your robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself, and they went into battle. Now the king of Aram had commanded the captains of his chariot, saying, Do not fight with the small or great, but with the king of Israel alone. So when the captains of the chariot saw Jehoshaphat, they said, It's the king of Israel. And they turned aside to fight against him. But Jehoshaphat cried out, and the Lord helped him. And God diverted them from him. And when the captains of the chariot saw that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. And a certain man drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel in a joint of the armor. So he said to the driver of his chariot, Turn around and take me out of the fight, for I am severely wounded. The battle raged that day, and the king of Israel propped himself up in his chariot in front of the Arameans until the evening. And at sunset, he died. Then Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned safely to his house in Jerusalem. For the upright to live resolutely, furthermore, we must turn to the Lord in times of need. We can see that they disregarded the word of the Lord, followed the uh, 
council of the 400 foolish prophets. And here we have this battle scene, which is so much fun to try and imagine exactly what happened, right? You have Ahab thinking, ah, they'll go for Jehoshaphat, make him look like the king. I'll hide here like a normal soldier with my armor. And the enemy is only going after the king. They realize Jehoshaphat isn't the guy they're going for, so they're just attacking the enemy. And then with a soldier drawing his bow at random, just firing an arrow into the uh, Israeli army, it happens, just so happens, to strike the king, Ahab, perfectly through one of the joints in his armor, perhaps up, up near the neck, perhaps through one of the joints in, uh, that you would move with, such as near the arms. Regardless, Ahab is hit, he's wounded, and at the end of the day, he dies. It'd be tempting to go through and try to imagine what Ahab would have been thinking uh, that rest of that day and how he forsook the Lord and how he was reaping the consequences of his foolish decisions. But Jehoshaphat went away safely. Why? Because in times of need, he turned to the Lord. Levi and Ethan, in life, you're not going to be perfect. I know that's not the type of thing you want to hear at graduation ceremonies, but it's something that's true. Look at what ungodly friends can do. They can lead you down paths you do not want to be. Jehoshaphat, however, when he realized he was wrong and in a situation he shouldn't have been in, what did he do? He turned to the Lord. And he could have cursed the Lord for being in this situation. He could have gotten angry and upset, but he didn't do that. He recognized he was wrong. He cried out for help, and he left. This is a very personal uh, illustration for me as I think through what it looks like to realize you're wrong and to turn from your sin. Uh, when I was a little younger than uh, you guys now, living in Nevada, I was so desiring to have a relationship with my unsaved friends in the public school. And to accomplish that, I would do the things that they did. I would say the things they did. I would dress the way they did because I wanted to be accepted. I made them the God and the idol of my heart rather than the God of the Bible. And I allowed them to chip away at me as a Christian. My parents recognized this, I recognized this, and so part of the solution was to go to New Hampshire, uh, to a Christian boarding school where I could be in an environment around Christians before going away on my own to college. And while I was in this Christian boarding school, it was especially helpful for me. I thoroughly enjoyed my entire experience there. However, I hadn't completely given myself to the Lord yet. I still desired to fit in, I still desired to be accepted by those around me, and as a result, I continued to live in sin. And it was in April, near graduation, near May, such as it is now, when I was caught in my sin, I was confronted, and I was broken. I remember realizing that the pursuits I had been pursuing were not satisfying to me at all. And I went back to my room, in my dorm room, I knelt down by my bed and I pleaded for God's forgiveness. I repented from my sin, and I turned to him and recognized that I want to live for the Lord. And I've never regretted it since. Part of that is what led me to faith. Part of that is why I'm here now, believing that my life is only worth living for the Lord. And Levi and Ethan, I praise the Lord that you did not have to have the experiences I had going through high school to help me realize this truth. But there will be times when you will be tempted to turn your back on God. There will be moments when you're tempted to walk away from him and to do and to pursue your own desires. 
But in times of need, when you come to your senses, remember that our God is incredible because he loves us again and again with his great love. It's Paul reflecting on this idea. He just bursts into praise, saying in Romans 11, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him... And through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And so in moments where you realize that you're not where you're supposed to be, when you realize that I'm not perfect, life is hard right now, I would exhort you as one who is upright, choosing to live resolutely, turn to the Lord, especially in times of need, and you will find a faithful friend who is always there for you, always ready to forgive because of our great Savior, Jesus Christ. And then lastly, the eighth and last principle that I believe that we can see here for what it looks like for the upright to live resolutely is to lead others to fear the Lord. We'll continue and finish reading with verses 2 through 11 in chapter 19. Verse 2, Jehu, the son of Hanai, the seer, went out to meet him and said to the king Jehoshaphat, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord and so bring the wrath on yourself from the Lord? But there is some good in you, for you have removed the Ashereth from the land, and you have set your heart to seek God. So Jehoshaphat lived in Jerusalem and went out among, from among the people, from Beersheba to the hill country of Ephraim, and brought them back to the Lord, the God of their fathers. He appointed judges in the land and all the fortified cities of Judah, city by city. He said to the judges, Consider what you are doing, for you do not judge for man, but for the Lord who is with you when you render judgment. Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be very careful what you do, for the Lord our God will have no part in unrighteousness or particularly, or, uh, or partiality or the taking of a bribe. In Jerusalem, also Jehoshaphat appointed some of the Levites and priests and some of the heads of the fathers of the households of Israel for the judgment of the Lord and to judge the disputes among the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Then he charged them, saying, Thus you shall do in the fear of the Lord faithfully and wholeheartedly. Whenever any dispute comes to you from your brethren who live in their cities between blood and blood, between law and commandment, statutes and ordinances, you shall warn them so that they may not be guilty before the Lord and your wrath may not come on you and your brethren. Thus you shall do and you will not be guilty. Behold, Amariah, the chief, of the, the chief priest, will be over you in all that pertains to the Lord. And Zebediah, the son of Ishmael, the ruler of the house of Judah, in all that pertains to the king. Also the Levites shall be officers before you. Act resolutely, and the Lord will be with the upright. And the last point that I believe we can see from this part of Jehoshaphat's life, in that in periods of transition... As you seek to live uprightly and resolutely, lead others to fear the Lord. First, I would encourage you to lead others compassionately. We see Jehoshaphat went out and brought people back to the Lord. Whether you like it or not, as, as individuals, as men, you are leaders. And so lead others compassionately. Also, lead others confidently. Take your confidence, however, from the Lord and not your own selves. Fear him. And help others also to fear him. 
And lastly, lead others faithfully. The story of Jehoshaphat goes on. Your story, however, Lord willing, also continues forward. If a chronicler were to follow your life and to observe your story, what would be recorded? The choices you will make tomorrow begin with the choices you make today. And so, follow godly examples. Seek the Lord. Seek godly influences. Praise the Lord for his graciousness. Avoid ungodly friends. Seek the word of the Lord. Turn to the Lord in times of need and lead others to fear the Lord. My dear church family and friends, let us also not neglect these principles in our own lives. The upright live resolutely. So let us pray for Ethan and for Levi. Let us stir one another up to follow these principles so that whether we find ourselves in periods of transition or tranquility, God will be magnified through our lives. Pastor Josh, if you would come now and conclude our service with prayer. That would be